0: I'm a guy that I get excited every weekend uh, for what we do, uh, for what our, our amazing volunteers do for the next generation in kids' life, and what we experience in here. Uh, I put a lot of thought and time into every weekend when I'm the one speaking, and I get excited about what we're going to talk about, because it's always about what do we learn from Jesus, what do we learn about from his closest followers, what do we learn from Scripture, um, something that's meaningful that we can apply to our life, because it's more than just heaven when we die, it's what we can experience in this life, and this is one of those weekends I've been especially excited about, because especially if you're someone that you would say, you know what, I've felt a little stuck in my faith, or I've felt a little plateaued, or it's felt a little stagnant, or a little dry, uh, a little uneventful, whatever it might be, this might be the weekend that you hear that you receive something that uh, could help you have a breakthrough, maybe one that you've really wanted for a long, long time. Now there was a time when somebody, someone asked Jesus. What is the greatest commandment? Uh, because like us, everyone knew or assumed that God had rules and things that were important to him. And, uh, but this person wanted to know, what is most important to God? And Jesus' response became immortalized. As nearly all of you know, he replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and all of your strength. And the second, the co-greatest, inseparable, you can't do the one commandment without doing the other, is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. So if you want to know what's most important to God, it's love God and love your neighbor. And we learn from Jesus and John and Paul and the other uh, first century followers and writers that there's this deep desire and longing on the part of God for there to be a, a, a deep desire on the part of God for mutual affection, for a relationship. And to a degree, we can all grasp this. Uh, for all of us who have had or hope to have children someday, part of raising children is the hope that they'll understand uh, the, the, the enormity of our love and our sacrifice in raising them, which they never do until they have kids of their own. But uh, ultimately, that, uh, we, there's this hope that this love would be reciprocated And love in the context of this command refers to more than just a feeling and an emotion. It refers to a mutual devotion, a mutual loyalty, a faithfulness above all others, putting uh, the other first, that we would be devoted to God above all. And one of the key ways that we demonstrate that devotion to God is the devotion to the well-being of our neighbor. And as we'll see, neighbor is so much more big, uh, bigger than the person that lives on your street. Jesus says, you want to know what's at the top of God's list? It's love thy neighbor. And as we are in the second half, well into the second half of 2021, talking about this command of Jesus, there's probably never been a better time in the short life of this church, of our church, where we need more clarity on how we're going to apply this command in our current culture than now, because of what's at stake. Because what's at stake is the next generation. Your children, your future children, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, your younger siblings. The next generation is taking their cues from us and we are currently shaping the world that they are going to inherit from us. The world that they're going to step into as young adults over the next 10 to 20 years. So we are responsible for the baton that we're going to pass on to them and For those of us at the stage of life of grandkids, or we're ready for grandkids, okay, if we're not dead, we're not done, okay? So we still have work to do, uh, to do all that we can to prepare them and to lay the groundwork for their spiritual and relational and human success. So we desperately need clarity about the common ground that we're going to stand together on, that will hold us together as a church, no matter what comes our way. And we don't just need clarity, we need help. We need help, and that was starkly revealed last year and into 2021, so we have an opportunity to do better, and this command, this command, love your neighbor, is said and written so often that it almost feels cliche or kind of cute, but the more that I look into my own heart and the more that I look into this broken world, the less cute this command becomes, The more we look into our world, the more profound it becomes. And honestly, the more revolutionary it feels. And the rarer it seems. And the more desperate we are as a world, as a humanity, that we need it. And Because if we were to truly embrace not just the teaching... But the example of Jesus, it would instantly begin to take this profound command of Jesus off the pages of our Bible and into our hearts and our communities and our homes and our schools and our culture and into our city. Four weeks ago, Dr. Don Davis, I love that man, he gave a powerful message that identified that every person, every person, every person that you're ever eye to eye with is someone for whom Jesus died, which makes them valuable beyond measure because the value of something is defined by what someone is willing to pay for it and what God was willing to pay for you and every other individual you cross paths with. The people you love, the people you like, the people that annoy you at 20 different levels was the life of his son. And we are called to embrace this simple world-changing truth that everyone is someone whom God made and for whom Jesus died. And we're called to carry that truth into every situation, in every scenario. The price tag for that person you love, and the person that offends you at 15 different levels, was the precious blood of Jesus the Christ. But while that is a great and lofty perspective, what are we supposed to do with that? It's important to God, it's top of his list, but how does that tangibly play out? What is our next step? And to answer that, the passage that we're going to look, out to look at today is found in, in the gospel of the historian Luke. And in this instance, Jesus is talking to a crowd and the question of what's important to God comes up. And you should know that the question didn't just come up once or twice. This would have come up many, many times because this is our question as well. And as he did everywhere he went, Jesus affirms the greatest commandment. Love God and love your neighbor. But this time, there's a smart guy, an expert in the Jewish law in the crowd. He had likely heard Jesus teach on this before. So he's had time to prepare, uh, to think through a strategy, because he wants to spar with Jesus. Because if he can be the guy that takes Jesus down, he's going to be a rock star among his peers, because most of these guys hated Jesus, and they did all that they could to trip him up. So instead of letting Jesus off the hook with such an easy answer, he has a follow-up question. But before we are too harsh on this guy that asks this question and make ourselves a hypocrite, we have to acknowledge that his question is our question. Because just like him, we want a loophole. We each want a justification to pick and choose those who we love, like, and serve. We just do. We all want that because this whole love God, love your neighbor thing, it just sounds so nice and warm and fuzzy until we actually have to do it. Because if we're honest, we are surrounded by people who seem impossible to love, right? I mean, the way they look, their values, their political leanings, their posts on social media, they're lazy, they're workaholic, they're too skinny. They clearly don't care enough about their bodies. Their families are going to, have to take care of them. They're greedy. They're unmotivated. They're black. They're white. They're brown. They're illegal. They're too loud and arrogant. They're too quiet and judgy. They're Democrat. They're Republican. Did I get everyone? There are just certain people or certain perceived categories of people that for you, you find it difficult, if not seemingly impossible, to like, let alone love. So this guy's question, it's our question. And as a warning, as Anne Lamott once convictingly said, you can safely assume that you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. So Luke tells us, the guy wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? This is our question. Because... Love your neighbor sounds like we should just all love and hold hands and just get along. It sounds so altruistic and humanitarian. But what does it even mean? Because, Jesus, you understand there are people out there, they're just wrong. Okay, there are people out there that I consider even my adversary, even my enemy. They're what's wrong with this city, they are what's wrong with this country, they are what's wrong with this world. And in response, Jesus does what he normally does he makes everybody uncomfortable including us, and he applies the command to love your neighbor and answers this core question of what does love, what does his love require of me? And he does so in the hardest possible context. He gives us the parable of the Good Samaritan. And as soon as I say that, you've heard heard Good Samaritan all the time. But I'm telling you, we miss the magnitude of what Jesus is actually saying and how he is tangibly helping us know who our neighbor is and what it looks like to love them and how to live this out. Because we can all agree, we can all agree that knowing the solution and implementing the solution are not the same thing. Paint still in the can changes nothing. Unapplied paint does no good. Unapplied medicines and treatments for sickness do nothing. So just because you may have heard this a thousand times and you could tell one of us the story of the Good Samaritan by heart, it doesn't mean you've actually internalized it in such a way that it is actually making a difference in your life or in the life of the people around you. So I want you to just pretend for a moment this is the first time that you've ever heard this. Because the power of this parable is that Jesus in creative and dramatic fashion describes who our neighbor is and what it looks like to love them. And this isn't simply about thinking and feeling. This is about doing. It's about acting on the answer to the question, what does love require of me? And I suggest that in this parable, Jesus is basically giving us a list. And I would actually say that without his list, we cannot fulfill his command. We can think the way Jesus wants us to think, but unless we also do what he's asking to do, we are going to miss it. So in reply to the question, who's my neighbor? Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. So to be clear, a Jewish man has been robbed, beaten, and left on the side of the road, naked, bleeding, and unconscious, and probably dead by nightfall. Jesus brings our attention to a neighbor in need, which is the first question. Do you notice the need? Because that's what love requires. That's what this commandment means, that the thing that's most important to God in loving your neighbor requires noticing their need. It means noticing the family down the street that's going through a financial hardship. It means noticing the coworker who lets slip that a family member is sick or struggling. It means noticing the friend of your kid whose parents are getting divorced or one of your students. It means noticing kids in our school system that are having a food scarcity. It means noticing the homeless people that are by the side side of the road again and again and again. It means noticing kids. uh, For us as a church, it's been noticing the need uh, uh, that is so basic that most of us just take it for granted. The ability to have clean clothes so that we don't stink or don't look dirty. It's also been through our partnership, as I mentioned, through with ICT SOS, noticing those who are practically invisible in our community because they are being baited into or groomed for or are already trapped in sex trafficking and horrific sexual abuse. It means noticing anyone who is in need or in danger or at risk or being taken advantage of. It means noticing anyone who has been exposed in some way to harm or injustice or racism or degradation. Have you noticed your neighbor in need? Maybe still reeling from the impact of the pandemic. Have you noticed a neighbor in need in a season of racial tension and division and injustice and tragedy? Jesus is saying, loving your neighbor requires noticing their need. And I believe He paints this picture because it's not a given that we're going to notice. It's not a given that we're going to notice in a way that leads to actual action. It's not a given that we're going to notice now, not in our day, and evidently not in their day either. He continues the story. A priest happened to be going down the road at the same time. Thank God. And when he saw the man... He passed by on the other side. A a priest in their day was a religious leader who made sacrifices for the sins of the people. He was someone who mediated their relationship, the relationship between the Jews and God at the temple. He was a shepherd. He was a guide. He was a teacher. He was a good man. I mean, his his whole job was just be good. Be good all the time. Uh, And he comes upon his dying countrymen. And like all of you now knows the command, love your neighbor, and yet we discover he's no better than any of us because he walks on by. Now, perhaps it was because he had urgent business for God at the temple. Perhaps it was because he thought the man was already dead, and in their law, if you touched a dead person, you were ceremonially unclean for a substantial amount of time and unable to serve in the temple. I mean, perhaps it's because he Figured out someone, figured someone else more qualified would come along any minute. We don't know why, but he walked on by. He saw the situation, he turned a blind eye. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him, passed by on the other side. A Levite also worked in the religious system of Judaism. Think like church staff or a volunteer church leader. Uh, he comes upon this man, and for reasons we can only guess, he, he sees the situation. But he too turns a blind eye and keeps walking. And I think Jesus wants us to be bothered by us. I think he, he wants us to be bothered by this, not so that we can criticize these two and go, oh, these, these guys are bad guys. No, these were normal people. Like one was a priest. I mean, these were good men. And that's what should bother us. What should bother us is that they were no different from us. Because we are all, we are all susceptible to the exact same mistakes that they were good people will always be able to find good reasons to walk on by. Reasons that make sense. Reasons that if people hear them, they go, oh yeah, that was really unfortunate, but you did the right thing. I understand. I mean, after all, you had to get to church, right? In fact, I love that Jesus made their profession religious and about the temple. Uh, Clearly, he cares more about us getting this right than attending church which is why we have as one of our core values, the church has left the building, that we're a movement, that we don't just exist for ourselves, we exist for others. So we learn from Jesus that there's a need to notice. And then the hero of the story arrives on the scene, the one who notices, he actually stops walking. And the character that Jesus chooses, not surprisingly, is incredibly controversial. In fact, if you and I had been in the audience that day, Chances are we would have immediately gotten mad or even argued with Jesus. Chances some of us would have like posted or tweeted something snarky later on because Jesus is intentionally making his audience uncomfortable. He was trying to pull them and pull us out of and beyond their comfort zone, their current standard, their version of love your neighbor, which like us qualified and justified them like us to the point that it turns out that God dislikes and hates, and ignores, and avoids all the same people we do. So Jesus brings in a Samaritan, who as he traveled, came to where the man was, and his Jewish audience groans. They're like, oh, not a Samaritan. And the frustration, the arguments begin to rise and form in their mind. I mean, we know this guy, he's going to get it even more wrong, because Jews and Samaritans were not friendly neighbors their bad relationship had been going on for centuries. It went all the way back to an Israel split between a northern and a southern kingdom. In the ninth century, King Omri uh, made Samaria the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel in opposition to Jerusalem, the southern kingdom of Judah. A conflict, a national divide became a spiritual divide, which uh, when they erected a temple to, uh, in Samaria to Baal who became the center of idolatry and this is, was in defiance to the temple and the priesthood in Jerusalem. Then the national and spiritual division became a racial division because Assyria invaded the northern kingdom and then the Jews living in Samaria intermingled, intermarried with their captors and their pure Jewish blood became tainted with the blood of foreigners and they became known as the Samaritans. And I tell you this so that you understand the mess that Jesus has created in the story. I mean, this is centuries of resentment and conflict and political and racial division and prejudice if only Jesus could tell a story that was relevant to our times. The context of Jesus' illustration of what it means to love your neighbor is filled with national, spiritual, and racial division. Why? Why? Because he wanted us to understand the second profound truth of loving your neighbor, what love requires. It begins with a need to notice, but then there are barriers to break through. I mean, think all the barriers that the Samaritan had to break through to help his Jewish neighbor. He had to break through the barriers of comfort. I mean, he was busy. All right, he was on his way somewhere. He had plans and commitments and deadlines, but he chose to put those on hold and stop. I mean, the guy is bleeding and sweaty and dirty. Ew, I mean, he, he had to break through all social norms. I mean, did I mention he was naked and unconscious? If I come upon you like sweaty, naked, bleeding, I'm at least getting a towel or blanket, something, okay? Uh, he had to break through barriers of patriotism. Like, hey, we are enemies. You're what's wrong with this country, he had to break through barriers of religion. like we, we believe two very different things. He had to break through barriers of status. Like, all you Jews, you think you're so much better than us? And he had to break through barriers of racial prejudice, all the animosity and suspicion and stereotypes. Each of these men had centuries of stories and talking points and narratives that fed into the grudges between them. The barriers between these two men were monumental and catastrophic and yet the Samaritan breaks through. Jesus says the Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. So three men walk by, only one loves his neighbor. Not emotionally, or necessarily with felt affection, but one who actually did what love requires. And it was the one who was willing to notice the need and break through every barrier. And so my question for you is, what barriers... What barriers have kept you from loving some of your neighbors, from doing what love requires? Again, a barrier because of the way they look, their values, their political leadings, their posts on social media, their work ethic, their physical appearance, their attitude towards money or material things, their perceived level of motivation, their white they're black, they're brown, they're illegal, they're immigrant, they're too loud and arrogant or too quiet and judgy, they're Democrat, they're Republican, who they supported or voted for in the last election, their position when it comes to face masks and vaccines. I'm meddling now. Too close to home. Listen, we all, we all have barriers and features and factors that if left unchecked, will cause us to minimize and villainize others that think different or are different from us. So what that means is your takeaway is you are a bad person. Okay, you just are. You're all bad people. There's no hope. Let's pray. That's not what it means. Okay, you're probably an awesome person. Probably way more awesome than me. Because remember, the priest and the Levite, these were good men. These were good men, but they had barriers. And that was Jesus' point. He's telling us a story because He tends, intends for us too to identify and call out the barriers in our lives that are keeping us from loving some of our neighbors the way that God wants us to. So what are they for you? Because until you know what they are, you can't break through them. And I would suggest from personal experience that you just name them. And as a heads up for most The greatest barrier to loving our neighbor is usually our baggage, not our bank account. And this is very true of me. It's usually connected to a painful experience that we've had in the past. A painful experience maybe a loved one of ours had in the past. And then when we see or hear certain things in other people, it just picks at that scab it just picks at that wound and makes our blood pressure and our adrenaline go up. So this isn't that we can't find the physical or the financial resources to help our neighbor. Rather, the greatest challenge is usually just breaking through our own personal baggage. It's breaking through the discomfort and, or the inconvenience or the pain of sacrifice or the complexity or the messiness of the situation or the history of conflicts or slights and mistakes and wrongs that led to the, where things are in the first place or the extreme differences of opinion that we have or appearance or the political or social narratives that have been built and built and built and are many times hyped up and exacerbated by the media or on social media. Those things are usually the most challenging ones. But we all have barriers. We all have barriers. But if you're going to love your neighbor, as Jesus He's commanding us to do with his brand of love. It requires breakthrough, noticing the need, breaking through barriers. And finally, and most importantly, and most powerfully, is there's a price to pay. There's a price to pay for what love requires. That's exactly what the Samaritan does. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii or two days wages Gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. He noticed the need. He broke through the barriers and then he paid the price for his neighbor's healing. Not only did he dip into his own resources on hand, his own medical supplies, but he put him on his own mode of transportation, took him the time to take him to the nearest inn, took care of him all evening through the night into the next morning then he opened up a tab in the morning says to the innkeeper whatever you've got to do you do you can put it on me and guys that's the final thing that we're called to do that's the final piece to loving your neighbor it means paying the price and as we've said here many times grace is free but following Jesus if you're doing it right it's going to cost you something eventually Just like God's love for us. What God's love what his love required of him was that when we were in dire need, and at the same time his relational and spiritual adversaries, he paid the ultimate price our healing cost him. Each one of us is called to pay the price for our neighbor's healing. And I imagine at this point Jesus' audience is just silent and feeling convicted as they think through the neighbors in their life, people that they had already determined, not my neighbor. And then Jesus asked a simple question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who noticed the need, who broke through the barriers, who paid the price, the one who had mercy on him. And then Jesus told him these four powerful words. Go and do likewise. You, you want to know what's going to get the command of love your neighbor off the pages of the Bible and into our hearts in our streets and our schools and our homes and our culture and our city. Going and doing likewise. Doing what love requires. Not just knowing it. Committing to a course of action. Resolving to a, be a person who notices the need. Who's willing to face the awkwardness and the uncomfortable comfortableness of breaking through the barriers and paying the price for our neighbor's healing. This is so powerful and it's convicting because it's so simple. Yet it can create such an internal conflict for us. That's all of us. Yet whether you're a Christian or not or a church person or not, I mean, don't you want this for your life? For your community? For our community? I do. And, and church, I mean, if you're part of our church, I mean, this is for us. This isn't a hypothetical or a suggestion or some noble idea. This is who Jesus called us to be. If you're a Jesus follower, this isn't about some ideal that we read in the Bible and go, that the, man, that's really powerful. No, this is who we're supposed to be. This is how people are supposed to experience us. No matter what's going on in our life or what's going on in the world or what we're facing as a culture, because the world and the culture are deeply flawed and broken, because it is made up of humans who are deeply flawed and broken, including and maybe especially the human we see in the mirror. And Jesus tells us that we get to be a light in this dark world, a light of what could be and what is to come. Where every division and every barrier will be fully eradicated and eliminated from existence, that day will come. But until then, the Good Samaritan isn't a story to describe heroes. It's a term that became coined to describe his followers. It's us. It's who we are. We're the people who see the need, who are willing to break through all kinds of barriers and pay the price because it's what God's love what love for God and love for our neighbor requires, whether we get thanks or not. I mean, do you know what happened to the guy who was beaten nearly to death? Neither do I. We don't know. Maybe he and the Samaritan became best of friends. Maybe they never saw one another again, but that's not Jesus's point. Jesus's point is this is who we are, or at least it's who we're supposed to be. Like when that fellow student or that coworker or that family on your street is going through a real struggle and everyone else is walking by, we stop. We notice, we stop, and if need be, we pay the price because that's what love requires. How can I help? What do you need? What can I do when that coworker lets slip that a family member has gotten really sick or is struggling and everyone else is walking by? And, and maybe they're walking by because that, that coworker is a jerk. Okay, normally they're just a pain in everyone's butt or they're weird or they're annoying, that we stop and we pay the price. Hey, that's tough. What do you need? What can I do for you? When a father of one of your kid's teammates or student gets that terrible diagnosis and people are like, oh man, that's tough. You know, got to go because we're busy. We're all busy. And we just assume that they have a support system And besides, they're not really someone I'd hang out with on a regular basis. And then we end up no better, no better than the priest and the Levite, super religious. And life just tempts us to do that. But if we're following Jesus, he didn't just say this with his words, he lived it. I mean, if you've ever really considered it, his entire ministry was constantly stopping in the towns and getting face to face with people. And his message over and over again was what? The kingdom of God has drawn near. God knows. God has noticed. He is not distant. He is near you. He is not indifferent to your struggle. Even if you've never once turned your heart or your eyes or your mind towards him, he he is in love with you. And he has turned, he has drawn near to you. And here, here I am. I am with you. I am near you. I am here to help if you will let me. And we are his ambassadors. The people, when they are with us, they should feel his nearness. What do you need? What can I do? We're the people that begin to make friends who look and think very differently from us. Build relationships. We get into the mess. We join the efforts. We pay the price for our neighbor's healing. If it's an area, especially like in the area of social justice or racism, and we don't understand, then we educate ourselves to understand And we speak up when we need to. We lean into whatever needs to be done. We don't wait for someone else. No, we're the church. We're the Jesus followers. This is our fight. This is our calling. It is who we are. It is who we are supposed to be. We lean into whatever work needs to be done. We don't wait for someone else. And this is really important. I'm not saying that there is a specific way that you need to do it. You don't need to be like me. You don't need to be like him or her or any other specific group of people. It, it, that's the beauty. That's the beauty of the Jesus movement. That's the beauty of being a part of a body where every part is different and does different things. The thing that we call the church, every single one of us can move in our own way, in our own networks, our own circles of influence, our own... it just is diverse which are diverse with colors and races and nationalities, especially here in Wichita. And diverse in the wirings of our minds and how we're made up and our abilities. There are so many options when it comes to loving your neighbor like the Good Samaritan. And the good news is it's usually far simpler than we make it in our mind. But the only thing that is not an option is to walk on by. Because what it means to love your neighbor, what love requires is to notice and to stop and to pay the price if needs be, because everyone is someone, everyone is someone God made and Jesus died for. And I'm so humbled, I'm so humbled and proud and happy to be part of a church that this is the core belief that started us in the first place. It's why we exist. We created, we're seeking to create a church with a heart for those Who have walked away from or avoided church or God or faith because of past baggage. Men, women, and young people who have yet to discover that there is a God who made them and loves them. Who loves them so much he sent his son to die for them and to help them understand why. It's why I believe that just four years in, we're poised to make such a difference in a world that is so divided and so confused and so wandering we have an unbelievable opportunity to stay committed to our mission, to our calling as a church, to be spiritual and social change makers, to be individuals in a church that inspire others to put their faith in and trust in and follow Jesus. And imagine, imagine if the church were leading the way in this. And honestly, I think we have some catching up to do. I have catching up to do in respects. But I envision and dream about the day where the church is leading the pack and loving our neighbor in our city. And you, you are the church. We collectively and individually are the church. And so when you leave or you log off today, the church has left the buildings. We're a movement. We don't exist just for ourselves. We exist for others. So we're going to culminate today's message with communion. For those of you that aren't familiar with what communion is, this is for followers of Jesus, plain and simple. And it began in a small, dusty upper room with Jesus and his 12 closest followers 2,000 years ago. And the amazing thing is from that dusty place in Jerusalem, it has been handed down from generation generation to generation to generation to us today. And it's so deep and rich with meaning and symbolism. I'd like to invite the band to come on up. The Apostle Paul explains communion this way. He said, the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. In a second, I'm going to pray. And then when you're ready, if you're a Jesus follower, if you're not, I'm so glad you're here. Just hang out. It's all right. Uh, But if you're a follower of Jesus, we've got four stations. Two on my right, two on my left. for Where you can go and take communion. But before you do that, I want to ask you to just take a moment before you go. And just to ponder... The application of what we learned from Jesus today, so that you can leave here and actually have it make a difference in your life. And it's just three questions that I want you to ponder and to pray about before you go and take communion. And the first is what what need do I need to notice? You know, as everyone else is walking on by, God, what need is it that I need to notice that maybe I've missed or I've not been paying attention to? And just ask that God would reveal that to you. For others of you, you've already noticed. But for you, the question is, what barriers do I need to break through? God, these are the barriers that I'm just struggling. just He already knows them. Just call them out. Just call them out and just say, God, I, I want you to help me break those down. I want to walk with you and you help me as I determine to break through those. And then finally, what, what price is Jesus calling you to pay for someone else's healing? And, and again, if you really want to see the command of love your neighbor, get off the pages of your Bible and, and from some motivational saying and actually have it get into your heart, in our streets, in our city, in our culture. This is what will make it happen like nothing else. Because it will be a rational generosity. I think most of you love new life as a church. At least you like it. If this is your first time, maybe you don't. I don't know. But if you really want to see something extraordinary in your lifetime, to see yourself and us collectively move in the direction of love your neighbor in a way that begins to make an unmistakable difference in your circles, in our community, in a way that begins to get the attention of everyone on the outside, In a way that begins to shape things for the sake of the next generation, our kids, our grandkids, our future kids and grandkids, then it's this. Jesus would say to you and me, here's what love requires of you to ask God every day, starting today, to help you notice the need, to claim that power of the Holy Spirit to break through barriers, and then pay whatever price you need to towards the price of your neighbor's healing. That's who we are. That's who we've been called to be. Let me pray for us. and Then you take whatever time you need to in your seats to do business with God. And then when you're ready, just go one of the stations and, and take communion. And then just uh, make your way back to your seats. And then uh, I'll wrap us up and dismiss us after that. Let me pray. Father, I I am so thankful that we have the teachings we have. We know there's so much more that Jesus Jesus taught and said that we don't. But What we have is so rich. I thank you for this parable. I thank you for this insight from Jesus. And I pray pray for all of us. Because this is so simple. But it is not easy. And especially in our culture right now. That is so hostile. And divided. And cracked and broken. It is so easy for us. To just go with that flow. Because we all have our own emotions. And differences that we're dealing with in our baggage. So I pray for all of us. I pray for all of us that today you'll just give us great clarity on what it is that we need to see clearly and embrace. I pray, God, that you, for everyone, whatever their barriers are, including my own, that you would partner with us in a way that can only happen if you help us to break through those barriers and that you would give us the courage to open our hands with our time and our finances and whatever it is, letting go of our pride, to pay whatever price it is, big or small, that we would represent accurately the love, the lavish love that you have shown us in paying the price. So that's what I pray as we connect this to the great sacrifice of Jesus to demonstrate his love and your love for us. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray all these things. Amen.